G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We are often talking about the concept of the idea of revival. Wouldn't it be wonderful? We'd always think and often prayer meetings pray, Lord, give us revival, a Christian revival in the nation. But what does that look like? You may be excited to know that this year, Revival broke out in the Cape York Peninsula town of Aracoon. Now, it's reported that there were scenes of reconciliation and a dramatic fall in violence in the town. Well, it started earlier this year. A thousand of the town's 1,300 strong population crowded into the Uniting Church earlier this year, intensely seeking after God. Well, Craig Mischewski is the minister at St. Luke's Uniting and Anglican Church in Weeper and Mapoon, about 100 kilometres away, and he's a regular visitor to Aracoon. We are talking today about revival in Aracoon on Cape York Peninsula, and Craig is joining us. Hello, Craig. Welcome along to 2020. Hey, good. It's good to be with you. Craig, just before we go any further and we get into our conversation, I want to make a special welcome to listeners on Cape York Peninsula because for those who are listening in other parts of the nation, you'll be excited to know that Vision Radio is on the air in Weeper, in Mapoon and also in Aracoon. Now, listening on 88FM, so a special welcome to listeners uh, on Cape York Peninsula today. Craig... Let me ask you about revival. Uh, sometimes we throw that word around, uh, but you've been there in the midst of revival this year. I wonder if you can describe for us what it looks like in practice. Oh, I mean, it's obviously going to be peculiar to the, the, the group itself. You know, revival meets people at their base needs. And in this case, what it looked like was a lot of reconciliation because... Um, Aracoon's got um, a, a complex situation going on with about seven different clan groups there and there's been some long-held tensions and when I say long-held I mean going back a very, very long way and so this revival, there was a lot of peacemaking um, you know, between those different clan groups a, a, a really good uh, example was uh, there was a, a a murder there last year and uh, under the law, under the old traditional ways, there would have been payback but the family that was um, who had the right to, to instigate the payback actually went to that family of the bloke who did the murder and, and said, no, we don't want payback we want to protect you, we want to look after you, uh, which was a whole unique thing, so there was that um, there was joy and uh, a kind of sense of hope for the people. Uh, yeah, so it, that's what it looked like, yeah. 
So uh, primarily an Indigenous community in Arakoon, uh, as you say, seven clans. And yeah. in their traditional uh, culture, uh, this idea of payback was a part of how they had a, a system of law. Is that the way you talk about that? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, if something happens, somebody has to pay. Like, you know, the, the most recent one is a young fellow died there. He was only 28, and he dropped dead. And so um, in the traditional culture, somebody's to blame for that. Somebody must have done some evil spiritual stuff to him and killed him, you know, through spiritual means. And so they've got to find out who that was and then instigate payback. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and understanding how that payback works and uh, traditional indigenous culture works uh, really comes into contrast then with what happens when there is a Christian revival because uh, people resolve their differences and tensions in different ways uh, when there's this encounter with God. Now, yeah. as I understand it, Craig, this was a sort of a, a slow build-up, and all of a sudden there was more people than you couldn't fit them all into the church. How do you describe uh, just the way that the revival looked uh, from the start earlier this year? Yeah, well, it was actually, it was last year. Last year, uh, the beginning of last year, they had, I think in the first few months of last year, they had 70 baptisms, adult believer baptisms. And it just kept going. Just, you know, regular adult believer baptisms, more people coming to church. Um, it was just a slow thing. And then at the beginning of this year, it just, like, the floodgates opened. And, you know, it's it's not a big church, but, you know, they were getting a 1,000-plus people at church on Sundays. And they were having... Um, um, fellowship meetings right across the town every night of the week. Uh, it was just a, a spontaneous uh, response to the move of God. But we've got to remember that these 100 years of prayer, of faithful um, dedication to God before this, you know, during the mission days, you know, there's been a great uh, a group of elders in that church praying continue to have fellowship, you know, witnessing to their faith consistently for a very, very long time. So it wasn't just uh, a flash in the pan, you know, it, it actually had a history to it. Okay, when we talk about a hundred year history, and this is so exciting and also very enlightening for, I'm sure, a lot of people listening to our conversation today that missionaries a hundred years ago went in and they set up uh, opportunity there for uh, an insight and a uh, influence of the gospel into that community and a yeah. hundred years growth and perhaps they never saw the sorts of things that you're describing a thousand people coming to church on Sunday that's probably the sort of thing that they would have been praying for but it somehow or other would have seemed so impossible for them uh, knowing that the community probably wasn't geared that way initially yeah well these were I mean, these are very Christianized communities, you know. Um, whether or not the individuals themselves took their faith seriously, but they knew the story, this is what's really important. They knew the Christian story. They'd been taught the Christian story their whole lives. And so 
because they knew the story, it wasn't a big step for them to then go into this uh, personal loving relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that's really the the basis for it, was the continual telling of the story, telling of the story, telling of the story. So the telling of the story, and that would have happened through Sunday schools, from children uh, into their teenage years, and then adults in the community exposed to these Christian truths, yep. and as you say, the retelling of the story. And then, uh, when the time is right, uh, at a time perhaps... And you might be able to describe just the circumstances beforehand, but whether the tensions were at a, a new all-time high and people are looking for some sort of hope, some sort of answers. Yeah. But uh, but when the conditions then were right, revival was able to come. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, like, I know we, we want to be able to formularise uh, revival because everyone wants it and say, well, they did this, this, and this, and then revival broke out so we can do the same thing. Um, it, it doesn't work like that. Um, it, it's really hard to put your finger on any single event. It's, it's a combination of stuff, but certainly there was a lot of tension in the community. Um, you know, uh, you know, last year they had to fly the all the um, department of ed people out because of violence um, you know when I had been there I'd seen many fights and stuff so there was a lot of tension and I think that um, you know people particularly talking to the elders they were just despairing because of all that and it was primarily the younger people who were involved in the violence the older people were very much sort of second by the whole thing you know and so and as you say situations where you've got nowhere to look but up you know and as you say at the peak of the revival when there was a thousand people turning up for church and we're talking about a community of just 1300 people so almost all of the whole community turning up to church. And then at the peak of that revival, when you talk about the, the, the tensions and the challenges, when you describe spontaneous dancing and people full of joy, laughing, happier than their current or earlier circumstances, uh, violence drops away. Uh, this is the sort of thing we think of that happens in revival. And, and you have seen that happen, Craig. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there was just, you know, as I said, there was a, there was a joy and a sense of hope. Um, and there was, you know, they would get together for meetings and people would just start dancing and praising God. You know, they were just full of the joy of the Lord. And, um, yeah, there was the tension dropped away. It, it, it was a lighter place, you know, a much lighter place. And uh, and people were really enjoying that. They were really enjoying the fact that they didn't have to watch to see who was going to be angry with who. And you know they were at much they were at, at a place of peace. And I mean that's what we read in the scriptures. You know the peace that passes all understanding. And that's what they were experiencing. You know joy, complete joy. They were experiencing that, and that was uh, part of the fruit of this revival, part of the uh, the DNA of this revival, yeah. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020.
on Vision. Real Life Revival that's been happening this year on Cape York Peninsula. Craig Mischewski is our guest. He's the minister at St. Luke's Uniting an Anglican Church in Weeper and Marpoon, a regular visitor to Aracoon, and he has seen incredible things that have happened there this year. Craig, as we talk about revival, and as quickly as revival comes, revival can go. How do you describe uh, when you talk about a peak of the revival earlier this year, and what happens when things start to cool down, what are your thoughts? Well, to be honest, um, when things started to cool down, I got a little bit panicky, you know, because you know there was so much good stuff going on, you know, and I in myself wanted it to keep going, you know, but it it just started to slow and slow and slow and slow until um, now we've got a situation where we've got some conflict again in the community and there's less people going to church. But the the important thing to remember is that all these people said yes to Jesus Christ. All these people responded to the Lord. So that part of it hasn't gone away. We've got a whole town who identify as Christians. They mightn't be as, as excited about fellowshipping or as excited about dancing as they once were, but they identify as Christians. And um, we really need to get to that point where we move into discipleship making. It's at that stage. We've, we've gone through the euphoria of revival. Now it's about making disciples, You know, teaching people about the Word of God, um, equipping them for their ministry. Let's dwell on this for just a few moments because I know that this is an important desire of your heart because even though you've had an incredible revival that's happened in Aracoon, it's been difficult to have people come in with some level of permanence who can actually help people grow and be disciples and become strong and mature in the Lord. Uh, how do you describe the needs that there are in the community in this sort of cool-down period after revival? Well, what we need is leadership. I mean, they've got good leadership there. Don't, don't get me wrong. Quite a number of the elders have been away and trained at Nunyalinga College in Darwin, Theological College in Darwin. So there is quite reasonable biblical literacy there, um, quite reasonable leadership. But having said that, um, you, you can't have one group leading because they belong to one clan, their affiliations with one clan or one uh, family group. And so then what happens is the other clans and family groups feel uh, isolated from the decision-making and so that actually starts to develop tension. So what we need is from people um, from the outside to come in um, to provide um, support, um, learning and uh, encouragement and that sort of thing. But we also have to do it appropriately and that, that requires going through the authority structures that are there to make sure we get the right type of people in there um, I'll tell you a short story about a, a chap that was coming in there and he ended up having conflict with the locals um, and when I spoke to him I, I, I spoke to him about the importance of humility when working with indigenous people working with them 
but he said it was he believed it was his right to correct them and I said no it's not your job to correct you know your job is to support to love to nurture you know um, and he just couldn't get his head around that these were capable Christian people who didn't need correction and there's a world of difference between teaching and correction so, yeah, it's that type of situation. You are describing something, and if I'm just uh, capturing something of what you're saying here, that you were really desire to have support come in from outside, but they yeah. would need to come in with a level of humility to submit under the eldership that's already in charge in Arakoon, yeah. but in so doing, they will be able to unite the seven clans who would there's a little bit of politics going on here uh, but there would be a tremendous input into the community for someone who can be humble enough to submit and be a servant leader in the context of what's happened in Arakoon. Yeah this definitely for the right person I mean it's, it's, a, it's a place where you could have a real ministry you know as I said the community identifies as Christian you know, there's how many other places in Australia can you go to where the whole community identifies as Christian? You know, <laughs> you know, but um, it, it takes uh, it takes, as I said before, humility to to work with the eldership, to to learn their ways, to understand, uh, you know, how to teach, how to um, equip. Uh, how to relate to, so to make sure that you're not isolating one group over and against another one. You know, it, it takes a person who has, you know, not necessarily who has those skills, but who's willing to learn those skills. And the locals are, are a great group of people, and they're really happy to teach their ways. They're really happy to equip somebody who would come in. Um, but it is a uniting church situation, and so it would have to be through the person or people would have to work through the uniting church. Um, and and that's also where the heart of the people are at too. They, they want... Um, they have a particular way of understanding things. They're very uniting church. So it would have to be... Uh, 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 you know, consistent with the um, expectations of the Uniting Church, you know. Craig, let's take a call. Uh, Andrew from Margaret River in WA on the line. Hello, Andrew. Welcome along. Hello. Andrew, what are your thoughts? Yes, Neil. Nice to have you along. Hi. What are your thoughts? Thank you, Neil. Thanks, Craig. Oh, my God, I was just encouraged and I thought I'd ring, um, <clears throat> you know, talk to people that live up that place is, it's not a normal place to live, and I appreciate people like Craig and, and people that are ministering out there because I was up there 20 years ago, and I was at a campsite with my brother and a friend, and I was a non-Christian in Bamaga, and uh, these Christians turned up, and uh, my brother and friend just sort of turned them away, and, and I was sitting there thinking, what are these people doing up here? Uh, they're Christians. What have they got? And so and I'd been traveling around for a few years, and I ran after them, and and walked with them. It was in, at night time, 9 o'clock at night, and I just remember walking up this track somewhere at the campsite, talking to them. I, I don't even remember what we talked about, but but something in me, God in me, made me chase after them. And, and I'm, you know, I've been a Christian since that sort of time. Around that period, I became a Christian, and, and I've got a family and four kids, wife, and uh, 
ministering in Margaret River in, in Western Australia. And uh, so I'm really thankful for people like Craig and, and those people that are, are in these places that are, uh, you know, networking with all of us and, yeah, just encouraged. And Andrew, I'm encouraged. You're the... F- you're the fruit of missionary activity into Cape York Peninsula, and uh, and I'm just uh, thrilled to hear from you, and uh, interested to hear uh, some thoughts from Craig on on someone like Andrew calling in and telling his story. Yeah, I mean, thanks, Andrew. That's a that's a good story. It's encouraging. You know, sometimes we forget that uh, God works in remote area Australia, but. There are a lot of incredible people who are investing very heavily into remote area Australia, and the, the spirit is moving. You know, there are there are uh, there are other good news stories. I mean, I know the Arakoon story is is fairly significant because we just don't get to see a revival like that. But I've worked in remote area ministry for a long time now, and uh, I have many stories of um, how God is working in in remote Australia. You know, He hasn't left it isolated. Thank you so much to Andrew in Margaret River in WA for your insight. Our talkback line remains open on 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to join in our conversation. Just to pick up on something else Andrew said, and you can give us your response here, Craig, when Andrew says when he was up there and met some missionaries and the thought that was going through his mind is, what on earth are those people doing here? Why are Christians in what is probably a very harsh environment? Uh, your own story, just in a nutshell, because we're leading up to news, but a couple of minutes, What? Uh, what's your own story, Craig? Uh, look, I'm a boy from the bush, Neil. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, love, I love the bush. Um, yeah, no, remote for me. I remember when I finished my training as a minister, they said, where do you want to go? I said, a remote, one track in, one track out, preferably dirt. You know, so um, no, my, I, I came to faith uh, in on a cattle station in the Northern Territory where I was a stockman. And so, you know, for me, me and God, you know, we and God love the, love the outback. And I imagine that's one of those special virtues and traits that you might hold uh, that helps you to relate so well uh, to Indigenous communities, that you're not afraid a little bit of uh, the harsh uh, environment in which you're there to minister. Yeah. I, um, look, I, I've, I've worked with different Indigenous groups you know, for a very long time. I've been in ministry for 30 years now. And uh, my first encounter of of actually engaging in in an intimate way with Indigenous people was as a stockman and building relationship with them and them actually telling their stories to me and that that so-called harsh country is alive uh, with life-giving potential, life-giving resources to Indigenous people it's not harsh for them. It's it's a place of nurture, and I think that's really impacted me. That's how I see. Look, I must say very humbly, I feel very privileged to be sharing, in some sense, in your ministry. And every listener who supports Vision is a part of something of this great news of revival in Arakoon because we're on the air in Cape York Peninsula towns and when we talk about Arakoon, listeners today will be tuning in on 88FM and in your neck of the woods, Craig, in Weeper and Mapoon, we're also on the air there, 88FM. 
and there'll be listeners to Vision in Arakoon. So in one sense there, I just want to say a special hello uh, to listeners in Arakoon and just thrilled and privileged to be able to talk about your story today. Uh, But uh, just share with us for a few moments, if you're able to, Craig, uh, what sort of difference it makes to have uh, 24-7 Christian radio on the air in, in this community. Look, Neil, the, the truth is that um, every resource, every level of investment into the communities is positive. And so what happens is that they've had this uh, input from their eldership, they've had this significant input from the Holy Spirit, you know, they've had all of the stimuli, the spiritual Christian stimuli, and then added to that mix is the support and the investment from Vision Radio, which reinforces their experiences, reinforces what they're being taught, uh, reinforces their call to follow Jesus Christ. So, no, it's what Vision is doing is very significant. And you know, I was only I was in Arakoon on Wednesday, and I was talking with a young fellow there uh, about uh, uh, Vision. He was uh, had been listening to it and was making some comments about something he'd listened to that day. So, yeah, Vision Radio uh, is important, very important. And, Craig, we know that the radio is not everything because you need to have face-to-face contact uh, with those mature Christian believers uh, who can be part of leadership. Uh, You've already described that there is already a very well-established leadership in the church there in Arakoon. But there is something special, isn't there, when you've got 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week opportunity for people to actually take with them this message and teaching of the gospel and I'm sure that's making a real difference well as I said a bit earlier in the conversation that they're at that point now where they're over the the intense euphoria of revival and they're into that place where they're working out their faith in the day-to-day grind of life and so having uh, the radio station with the input they're getting from that uh, is assisting them in translating their experience of coming to faith, their experience of revival, assisting them by translating that into, well, how do I live my day every day with Jesus Christ? You know, how do I, how do I deal with the types of conflicts? How do I deal with the complexities of uh, my life here? And so they're getting uh, guidance, they're getting assistance, but they're also getting a sense of support that they also belong to something much bigger than themselves. They're part of this Christian community, and that's what Vision Radio, I believe, do. All Christian radio does is that it reinforces that we all belong to a far bigger network of believers around the place. As you're reflecting, Craig, after revival, people need to continue to get on with their lives. And when they're getting on with their lives, the old tensions are still there. Uh, The reasons for conflicts that might have been in a little bit of a reprieve are still there and uh, you're dealing with some of that now because uh, while the uh, the spontaneous dancing and the joyfulness uh, was there there was a lower emphasis on the conflict but now that conflict is uh, seemingly returning a little how do you describe the way that people are dealing with that and and do the people themselves want to get back to that revival time yeah um it's very interesting. When when I saw the first um, outbreak of conflict again, and 
I was very, I was quite disheartened. I thought, oh no, I thought we were over that stuff, you know, because it, for those people, they're, they're going back to very, very ancient ways of thinking about life, and it revolved, revolved around a death that occurred and, and them blaming, um, you know, having to find somebody to blame for that person's death. And so I was quite despondent, and uh, you know I was I was quite sad, and that, that started to do that again. But then I met some uh, other elders that I hadn't had a lot to do with, um, and they were talking to me about their outreaches that they're involved in. You know, they're going to other communities. They said they've gone to uh, another community called Kauniyama shortly because they got some baptisms to do down there. And I know that's not directly related to the conflict. But it reinforces to me that people are still walking with the Lord. They're still excited about Jesus Christ. And so even though we have this small, and it's only a fairly, fairly small pool of conflict, you still have the fruit of the revival functioning in the community. People are thinking differently. They are hoping for other things. Um, I think that there's people, by and large, people are less likely now to jump uh, into uh, a reactionary response um, to these complex situations of life and death. They're more likely now to stop and consider, you know, what would they do as Christians? So there has been a change, um, you know, that I have seen, you know, so that's a good thing. So people have a new frame of reference because they've been there and done that now. They've experienced what it is to recognize the fruit of people coming to Christ and all of these good things that come along with that. And so when they can point to that, and it's in their own recent memory, there's a new set of, a new framework by which to actually judge what's right and wrong. I I think so. They Well, no, I don't think so. I know so. Um, their worldview is Christian, and and even though they would have identified, because of they, as I said earlier, they know the story of Jesus Christ, and they've been brought up with that. Now they identify as they call themselves baptized Christians. For these folks, baptism is extremely important, and they say, "No, I'm a baptized Christian now." And so, because I'm a baptized Christian, there's certain things I'll do, and there's certain things I won't do. Um, and so that phrase, you know, frame of reference is very important. That it has changed their frame of reference. Um, their worldview has changed as a result of the experiences that they've had. But what they're looking for is direction now, uh, looking for ways in which to use that new, that new set of um, glasses, as it were, to, to deal with their life issues, to deal with the... the um, any conflict that occurs to deal with their their needs on a day-to-day basis. They're looking for guidance. They're looking for direction. They're looking how to Christianize um, their day-to-day activity. And I imagine that there are some fruits of revival that you'll be looking for and that listeners who are tuned in today in Arakoon might be thinking about too as 
And when you say, Craig, what comes next, the thing that comes to mind for me is that the idea of revival has a fruit which is mission-oriented, where people take what they have understood, this new experience in God, this encounter with God, and this new maturity that they move to, and then they have this desire in their hearts to let that overflow their community and into other nearby communities. So far, the, the eldership has been fantastic. They've done outreaches to um, Cohen, Kawanyama, Pomparel. So they, they have taken their experience there. And, and what's interesting is that those communities heard about the revival in, um, in Arakoon and they requested the elders to come down and tell them what happened. And so the net result was there was quite a few believers' baptisms in those communities. And there's a group of elders going down to one of the communities um, this week or next week. Uh, and I also took a couple of elders through to Marpoon yesterday uh, with the intention of um, praying um, with families there and um, a particular guy who's dealing with some health issues had requested them to come and pray, you know. So... There is a mission, you know, they, the word has got around in Cape York and there is a request for them to bring this good news to them. So in some respect now, Arakoon has been held up as a leading light and they have a responsibility now um, to share that good news and they have a responsibility now to function as a Christian community, you know, and Many of them are. There's, as I said, there's still a small pocket who want to go back to the old ways, but the vast majority are. Their function is very committed and very strong Christians. Let me just come back to get you to reflect some more on baptism because, you know, different churches baptize in different ways, and there you are in the uh, Uniting Church and Anglican Church and uh, different ways that uh, that people are baptised. Can you describe what a typical baptism looks like for us, uh, Craig? Because the meaning of this baptism clearly is so important because it marks a line of demarcation between, uh, you know, I'm not just Christian by name, I really am a doer of God's word. I'm on the side of Christ when I'm being baptised. Uh, how, how do you do the baptisms? What does that look like when you've got a whole bunch of people all lined up to be baptised? Yeah, well, I don't... Uh I don't do the baptisms, the elders do the baptisms. And um, interesting enough, at Arakoon they go down the river and uh, they just do the old-fashioned baptism in the river. Yeah. And uh, and it drives the police crazy because the police are scared about the crocodiles. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And um, the Arakoon people say, look, we've been here for thousands of years. We know the crocodiles, the crocodiles know us, so they leave us alone and we leave them alone. But... Um, they, they baptise in any body of water that they can, uh, they can get to. But interesting enough, they practice both infant baptism and believer's baptism. So they'll baptise children by the sprinkling of babies by sprinkling of water. But believer's baptism is full immersion baptism. And I've got to say, wow, because they're saying, well, if there's a dispute and there's controversy over this, hey, let's just do it both ways. Uh, we'll cover all bases here and we'll make sure we've got it right. Yep, absolutely. They, um, they're very flexible. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 
2020 on Vision. Craig Mischewski is our guest. We're talking about revival in Arakoon on Cape York Peninsula. And we've passed the peak of the revival. Things have started to cool. It's still a fresh experience in everyone's thinking there in Arakoon. When you think of a thousand people turning up to church on Sunday and there's only 1,300 in the entire community. Well, it is an incredible thing that's been happening on Cape York Peninsula. Craig, as we talk about the needs post-peak of revival, but still a very spiritual community and still a very vibrant church on a Sunday, the specific needs that you need. And let me just encourage listeners to be open to uh, to the possibilities here. But, Craig, what are the, the primary needs that you need in Arakoon today? Uh, what they need now is good teaching. Um, they need somebody with... with uh good pastoral skills, good biblical knowledge, um, somebody who can gather the people together, particularly the eldership, um, to work with them to not only to teach them the Bible and what it means to be a Christian, but to strategize uh, on how to work through issues, um, to assist with mediating between different groups, um, just really overall good pastoral skills is what we're after yeah now you would put people through something of a fairly stringent vetting process because as i understand it there's been a few experiences where uh, square pegs have turned up to fit into a round hole but they haven't been able to fit so easily uh, yeah. how do you how do you do that sort of vetting process to make sure that people are aware and and understand what's needed what one of the a couple of really key issues at stake here. First of all, um, there are people who, who who come to these communities who, you know, who want to assist the indigenous people, you know, and it's a feel-good thing, and they stay for a little while, and then they go. And so it, it ends up, you know, um, hurting the community because they open up to that person, and then they're gone. And so they come and promise the world and then leave you know, leaving a hole in their heart, you know. So the person or persons who come have to be people who are willing to hook in and stay. You know, we're looking for longevity of ministry. The second thing that's really critical is that people come and think that they know more than the Indigenous people or they have a a sort of superiority complex where they're there to correct and train the Indigenous people, and we don't want people like that because... These people know what they believe and why they believe. These are very smart, they're very insightful human beings. And so whoever comes has to be a person, and I've said this before, but people who are humble and can work with the people and are gentle and they're willing to learn themselves. And the third thing is that some people have this idea of indigenous people as the noble savage. These are people who can do no wrong and they're amazing and they're all significant. That's not helpful because indigenous people are human beings like everyone else. They've got their strengths and their weaknesses. They've got, you know, their capabilities and they've got their inabilities. They're just real human beings who are dealing with real issues of life. Yes, they come from a very um, sophisticated, a very complex cultural framework, but it doesn't make them any more significant than anybody else. They're just real human beings. So we have to have people who are grounded, you know, on top of that, um, because it's a uniting church ministry, 
um, they have to go through uh, the Uniting Church. So they have to be willing to work with the Uniting Church and, and submit to the Uniting Church ethos. Now, having said that, that's not some, you know, over-the-top, you know, join the Uniting Church club, you know, let's cut our shells and share blood. It's, um, it just means that you can work with the Uniting Church, um, work with the leadership of the Uniting Church, you know. Um, and John Adams is the, is the guy to um, talk to um, in regards to that. But, uh, uh, yeah, we, we are. We're looking for somebody. And even though I might have made it sound complicated, it's not that complicated. If you've got a real heart for, for Indigenous people, if you're happy to live in remote Australia um, and live in a dry community, um, you know, there's the possibility there for you. Well, Craig, the next question, of course, is how do people get in touch with you? Is there a website for uh, the church that you're leading that, uh, that ministers into Arakoon? How do people get in touch with you as the focal point? Okay, well, there's a couple of opportunities. First of all, it's just to get on to Calvary Presbytery of the Uniting Church. So it's just Calvary Presbytery. Um, and there's a website there. They can get all the contact details there. Or ultimately, if they want to ring me, which is zero four triple sorry zero four triple zero three double six three zero. That's zero four triple zero three double six three zero, and they can contact me and uh, and begin to have a conversation. All right, there is a good contact point there, and uh, no doubt. Uh, is it appropriate uh, to even encourage people to drop in to I'm not not that everybody has the capacity to but some people might be thinking uh grey nomads uh, maybe dropping in to uh, be a part of a church service there in Arakoon one day is that a is that something that you'd encourage or is that something you'd discourage oh look um i mean if grey nomads want to drop into a church service that's fine um as long as they they recognize that um the visitors like there's no there's nowhere for them to camp and it's a it's it's a long way off the beaten track but you know if they want to look, drop in and sit down with the elders the elders they would just love to talk to them and tell them their story they're very these are very friendly people the Arakoon people you know even though they've had their internal issues these are very friendly very generous and very kind people you know and uh, they would be more than happy to tell them their story um just as long as the grey nomads um, realise they're not there to do anything other than to listen and to learn. Right. Well, uh, I hope uh, that you will be able to extend uh, the love of uh, Australia's Christians who are listening in on Vision because I just feel uh, there's a wonderful connection there today and I can say that personally to listeners in Arakoon and uh, to other communities on Cape York Peninsula. Just wonderful to hear uh, such an amazing story and it is our humble privilege uh, to be a part of that and to be able to reflect and connect uh, people who are on Cape York Peninsula with others who are around the country and as we heard from uh, someone a little earlier in WA and and we'll often hear from people all around Australia just wonderful to be able to link so beautifully with uh, what's been happening on Arakoon. 
just tremendous having you as our guest today too, Craig. I want to thank you so much for taking some time to share the story. And I think there's still lots more to talk about. We might be able to do this again on another day too. Craig is the minister at St. Luke's Uniting and Anglican Church in Weeper and Mapoon. That's about 100 kilometres away from Arakoon. But Craig, thank you so much for taking some time to share the story about revival in Arakoon on Cape York Peninsula with us today on 2020. You're welcome. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.